Hello world and welcome to episode 5 of, what are we calling ourselves again? The Bloke Pod. The Bloke Pod, that's the one. Yes. So so I'm really up to speed on all this, aren't I? It's good to see. Great start. Great start to the fifth episode there, Jay. I just can't even remember the name of what we're called. It's it's been such a memorable (laughs) occasion for you that you completely forgot what we're all about here. My memory banks forever. Yeah, well. So as usual, we've got Action Jackson and uh, Glenn the Godfather Jamison here. Just sitting, uh, sitting here watching the, the slaughter in Sydney at the moment, which is none too edifying. And frankly, the sight of Steve Waugh in a GWS scarf. Steve! Tugger! What have they done to you? Oh, uh, that, I think... That's Act- soul-destroying right there. Yeah, it I really think, is. I think Action just lost about five <laughs> yeah, years off his life. I know. I purely for those I five minutes. I can't Oh, no. But... Uh, I, I feel sick. Yeah. So, which, uh, which is probably how the Australian cricket team's feeling oh, right about now as well. Getting up by the way. I mean, what are they ranked? Eighth in the world, I think? They're, they're <laughs> certainly not up there. And meanwhile, the team that's ranked below them, the Bangers, came oh, within a bale's width of... Um, causing one of the biggest boilovers in sporting history and winning the Asia Cup. I mean, how they got to the final ahead of India and Sri Lanka, for starters, is impressive. And then in the final, chasing oh, a fairly average total, you'd say, just one of their openers, 16 off 52 balls. I, I don't think it's too much of a stretch to say he cost them the match. Yeah, he might be working the salt mines mm. uh, right about now. Yeah, ridiculous. But, yeah, so... Interestingly, well, we we yep. we kind of have the AFL starting. I'm not quite sure if that's. Oh, if that's I don't think this really counts. Yeah, <laughs> Sydney and um, Greater West. And Sydney. can I just ask, why on earth is this match scheduled on a separate weekend from the rest of the season? Like, what what's the thinking behind that? I mean, if they're trying to say, well, we'll give you only one thing to talk about, then the only thing we'll be able to talk about for five days is how crap this match was, basically. I mean, what? <laughs> no, well, why? It'll, or, or it's actually based on how the uh, the commentary of, uh, yes. How can we describe the commentary team at the moment? I think it's almost... C- Paid C- off. See no evil, speak no evil, talk no evil, whatever the case may be. But dumb, dumber and even dumber still perhaps is more appropriate. But all I've heard so far is how gallant Greater Western Sydney have been. and God. Coming to the start of the... G stands for? Yeah, obviously. Coming to the start of the... The fourth quarter, they've kicked a whopping three goals, which isn't going to win you any games mm. of football anytime soon. So, no. oh, and Izzy's on the bench. It's all he's good for. But still, way to earn that seven-figure salary, hey? And how's Demetrio coming out and saying, "Oh, I'd actually have paid more for him"? Why? Honestly, can we at least have a meritorious-based pay system whereby these guys are actually getting what they're worth in terms of their on-field performance? I mean, Reese Palmer's another one. The amount of money they managed to shell out for him, it's just ridiculous. And all it does is it it, it encourages teams to actually, uh, players to turn their backs on their teams and just sell out and go north. Well, well you know. East, we, I should say. Well, north, yeah. north from where yeah. they are. Well, you could say you could say north based on how their theme song comes across. It sounds like something from some from some Alaska. eastern yeah, some eastern bloc country, not known for a hell of a lot. So yeah. you could, en- en- ending with a yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> uh, you could you could easily have uh, got the I could understand the confusion based on that. So. Mm. But uh, probably the less said about the Greater Western Sydney theme song, yes. the better, because apart from the start of the game, I don't think we'll be hearing it too often no. this year. No, no. You could, well, you'll definitely be able to count it on one hand. Possibly yeah. one finger, I'd say. Now, look, yeah. the big guy I want to talk about this week, and you, you've seen some of the emails I've sent about him, Vernon Philander. The Philanderer, as yeah, I like the Philanderer. to call him. Yeah, that's right. Actually, Mick Jardine, our correspondent, said it's it's just too bad there's not an extra ER on the end of his last name. Yeah. <laughs> it would be quite appropriate. But this guy has taken 45 wickets in his first six matches. Um, he, he missed out on... Well, there were eight more wickets up for grabs on the last day of that first test against the Kiwis, which got washed out. But the fastest to 50 wickets... Um, Charlie Turner did it in six games, and I can't. The, 
name of the guy temporarily escapes me, but one other guy did it in seven, and they're the only two who've done it in seven. So if he takes five wickets in this current match against the Kiwis, he'll basically be the third fastest, well, equal second fastest to 50 wickets of all time. And most impressively of all, those other guys did it back in the 1800s. So it's been, yeah, a good 120 years since someone last took 50 wickets in their first seven matches. And they probably also didn't have somebody of the yeah. quality of Dale Stane yeah, at the other end. That's right. He's competing for wickets with one of the best fast bowlers of all time. Who's got, who's got yeah, well, one of the best you, I think you named him as the yeah, third yeah, best of all yeah. time in a previous Marshall podcast. And, Marshall and Lily and, and Dale Stane. Although I might need to change that to his, his new ball partner <laughs> if he keeps up at this rate. I mean, the sad, the saddest thing is for me that he's, he's already 26, so he's no chance to yeah. sort of set any records like that. But, jeez, based on a start it's, like it's that, nothing. I mean, that's three and a half wickets per innings. The, the scary thing is, is that those guys play so many matches these days anyway. He'll probably have oh. a good 50 or 60 test career in front of him. So. Yeah, he does. But test cricket sort of reached its saturation point now. They're actually playing less of it now than they used to, which is why, I mean, they say there's three... Um, there's three marks that won't be broken. The first is Bradman's 99.94. The second is um, Tendulkar setting these um, 100 hundreds now. Yeah. And the third is um, Murali Duran's 800 test wickets. They reckon none of those three will ever get broken. Tendulkar's runs? Wow. Possibly not, yeah. Probably. Well, actually, that's actually, actually, I I should probably take that back because I remember looking at something that suggested that Alastair Cook was well and truly on on pace to beat it. I mean, that's you need someone who's basically started very, very young, and I mean, the biggest one is injuries as well. Because I mean, if injuries knock you around for a year in in Test cricket, you know, you can lose well. I'd say maybe eight to twelve test matches there yeah. if you're one of the main players. Well, you lose nations. you lose a thousand runs. Yeah, basically. exactly. Yeah, yeah. The, well, the opportunity for a thousand runs. Yeah, I mean, but I mean, the, the advantage Tendulkar has is that he's never going to get dropped as long as he lives. So yeah, he can keep right. playing until he's mid mid to late fifties. I'd say until speaking the might finally say, "Hey, mate, it might be time to." Yeah. Well, I mean, speaking off. speaking of which, it was good to see Raul Dravid kind of take matters into his own hands and. Make the hard decision to to leave the game. Well, I mean, it's very interesting. On merit, you would have said after after the England tour, he was probably the best placed of the big three in terms of him, Tendulkar and Laxman. I mean, that England tour, he had a sensational... Um, tour over there. I mean, he, yeah, so it's just he carried the bat in I one innings, which it's just, just doesn't happen these well, yeah, days. Th- I think he had three centuries. I mean, yeah. it's just a shame that the rest of the team decided to start yeah. the bus. But... I think it was two centuries, yeah, because yeah. it was four tests. But yeah, I mean, sadly in Australia, he just couldn't um, reproduce that form. And that, I mean, that's well, the yeah, problem when you get uh, to that age too. It's it's always a question of when a form slump has actually become yeah. a terminal decline. Well, that's right. I think, unfortunately, the wall ended up being made out of cardboard during the Australian <laughs> trip. Yeah. And uh, Ben Hilfenhaus, in particular, was that's right. fine, it's taking great pleasure in punching holes through well, the I wall. Think, yeah, they said there was a gate installed in the wall, yeah. <laughs> and he kept getting bowled through it. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, interesting. It'd be interesting to see what happens mm. with Indian cricket. So, yep. Rohit Sharma I mean, is obviously the biggest question now is who's going to bat at number three for them because they're saying Waxman is a chance. Oh, geez, that's not a good yeah. idea. No, Waxman, but, Waxman should be taking the hint as well and yeah. getting the hell out of well, Dutch. Well, I mean, because... I would have, I would have said Dravid was more selectable than Waxman right now. Yeah. To be perfectly honest, they'll probably put Golden Boy Coley in there. Oh well. Yeah, he seems to be able to do no wrong. He well, certainly a... not in one day cricket at the moment. Yeah, that's yeah exactly he's, right. he's setting the world on fire. Yeah, yeah. But so yes, anyway, that was just the big the big wrap I wanted to give this week is Vernon Philander. I mean, I'm, you know, cricket and stats are the two things I live for. So to see to see this guy do something that hasn't been done since the 19th century, very well. I mean, he hasn't done it yet, but um, yeah, to yeah. get that close, even very very impressive indeed. Yeah, my, I guess my big story for this week uh, is uh, in relation to my beloved Denver Broncos and uh, managing to pull off probably the biggest coup of, of all free agency in all time, being able to ink Peyton Manning to a contract, mm. which surprised a lot of people and uh, probably none more so than Tim Tebow, <laughs> who has since been traded to the New York Jets. and. Yeah. 
Oh, be interesting to appreciate Yeah, look, it'll be interesting to see how that works out on on all fronts. I mean, it's pretty much Super Bowl or bust, I think, for Denver. Mm. Um, Manning's 35, so he's certainly not getting any younger. But I think the good thing about Manning is, much like the guy who recruited him, John Elway, is that he's not somebody who's necessarily renowned for doing stuff athletically. It's more about his his skill and understanding of the game yeah. that... Uh, that made him valuable, so I don't think that we'll see too. I don't think that there'd be too much of a decline. At least that's what I'm hoping. Well, the interesting thing I heard that he was going to be uninsurable for this season, and that was what was actually going to stop him from playing. Well, so how have they overcome that well, obstacle? The, the, yeah, I mean, look, he's obviously. Uh, I mean, there's been a lot. The Denver, the Denver hierarchy, a lot of a lot of time and a lot of efforts been putting into. I guess looking at looking at Manning and just checking that he's actually okay, okay. first and foremost. I think that, the, you know, he's signed a very, very... He's signed a, like, a five-year, yeah, $90 million dollar yeah. contract, but the um, the contracts that the NFL players sign aren't worth the paper that they're written on. Yeah. It's actually about the guaranteed <laughs> money, and there's a lot of conditions in there which essentially suggest that the guaranteed money that he'll be earning or getting is contingent on him finishing a season this mm. year. So... I think that that's that's the big thing for uh, for Peyton is to try and get through the year. But yeah, so I mean, insurance wise, there's not they uh, found someone to I, I would to take it on. Or? I would say so. Yeah. I, I, it's hard to know. I mean, yeah, a guy who's had um, four neck surgeries. Yeah, it's not a exactly. good sign. Um, yeah, and, and I, the I mean, the other big story that that's come to mind is is I don't know how much you know about Bounty Gate. You've probably heard snippets of it. The NFL taking rather extraordinary measures uh, this week, suspending New Orleans Saints coach Sean Payton for one year on the back of uh, his team operating a bounty system where they, the defensive players were targeting oh, specific players geez. for the purposes of injury. So, well, look, I said in the um, in the Rugby World Cup, I think it was in 2003, I said someone should have gone out and broken Johnny Wilkinson's ankle in the first minute because yeah. there's no way England would have beaten us without him, even if the Aussie player who did it got sent to the sin bin for the rest of the game. But, but I mean, it's, but it, still, is, it is it's interesting. In the regular have, season sort of context I mean, look, like it's, it's, it's taken a... There's been a lot of talk and a lot of discussion about this. The, the issues that they have with this is that it's always been a little bit of an informal... Part of the culture mm. in uh, in professional football. Well, you got your cock cleaned, basically. But it's time but it's time again, yeah, yeah. But it's actually never been it's never been as regulated, formalised. I guess. Yeah. yeah. But more to the point that the coaches to the to the stage where the mm. coaches were involved. And yeah. I mean, it's the players gonna, might say, "Look, let's you know, yeah. let's go knock so and so's block off." But to but say yeah. to actually so yeah, I mean. That, yeah. So big, big. I mean, there's no announcements with regards to the players that have been involved in this system yet. But well, yeah, surely sh- they're the ones who are really <laughs> yeah. more well, to blame. <laughs> Sean, Sean Payton's been whacked for a year. The defensive coordinator, he's uh, he's basically been suspended until further notice. Mm. And the general manager copped eight weeks. <laughs> so the NFL's come down pretty hard on this. Well, they. I mean, they want to set a precedent, wouldn't they? Well, they don't want to stamp it yeah. out. Well, that's it. I mean, the the issue that they have is is that you can't necessarily endorse these things when you're mm. when you're all about player safety and you're yep. dealing with the the rather sensitive issues of concussions. I think there's about thirty well, odd the players. companies again. Well, that's yeah. it. I think that there's about thirty <laughs> odd players at the moment who are actually suing the NFL yeah. overarching body with regards to how they've been hand, how their concussions have been handled. Mm. So. They they put their foot down and uh, yeah really made a made a stand on that. Some have thought that it's a bit excessive. Some have thought that it's it's missing the point. But it's probably about right when you actually think about what they're trying to do. And yeah, I mean look, I, I think that well, this I mean, once again proves to me why Roger Goodell is the best commissioner going around these days. Is that it, it's not it's clearly the not anti Demetrio. Yeah, well I mean it's clearly not an easy decision to have to try and make to suspend somebody like that. But he mm. doesn't worry about that stuff. He just gets it done. Yeah. This is what I need to do. This is what I want my league to stand for. Oh, this well, is it. all power to him then. Yeah. Good on him. So yep. So that's uh, they're they're kind of the um, the big stories from that perspective. Probably the the biggest of all stories with regards to uh, was. Anybody who follows Australian rules football is the death of Jim Steins. Which very very. Can I just say Jason Ackermanis is a fucking attention-seeking tool, 
and yeah, yeah. he deserves whatever comes to him. Quite honestly, yeah. he's just a dickhead. And the fact that he's now sort of coming out and uh, yeah, making all these um, appearances, apologising for that, just doesn't change the fact that he has to have some sort of awareness and sensitivity of when to open his mouth and when to actually keep the bloody thing shut. Now I know you were uh, you were looking to institute a new news. I guess segment segment into the show here. <laughs> yeah. What the hell is he thinking? Jason Akimenis, yeah. is he your number one candidate for what the hell is he thinking? Yeah, it has to be. Okay, I mean... the, the floor is yours. Two minutes. <laughs> Go for it. Oh, well, look, someone who was, for the last few years of his career, you know, no one had a higher opinion of him than himself. And when he was actually dropped from the Western Bulldogs, he went on the record as saying he thought he was in the top five players at that club. It just... A completely absurd, a completely overblown opinion of himself. But, I mean, Jim Steins was a hero to so many people, not for what he did on the field, but for what he did off the field. His work with the REACH program was, you know, outstanding. It's really good to see someone like that giving back to his community. And for someone like Jason Ackermanis to call his state funeral into question and, and basically just, yeah, question the man's legacy in general, a week after he's he's been... Well, sorry, it was a couple of days after he'd passed away, wasn't it? Yeah. Just really, he's just got to pull his head in and know when to shut the fuck up. Yeah, look, I I, I actually had an interesting conversation with my father about this topic uh, only a few hours ago. And I made the point that, you know, as, as an individual, it, it kind of speaks volumes for... You hear about, you know, the culture, the mateship and the Conrad shit that happens with a, around a football club... Akimanis has played, I can't remember exactly how many games he played, but it would have been very close to 300 yeah, at two it was, different clubs. Yeah, 250, I think. Yeah. Um, zero friends. What's that? <laughs> I mean, what does that, what does that tell you about uh, yeah, the guy? Yeah, he didn't show up to, um, was it Lepich? He didn't show up to his wedding and, and stuff well, like that. Well, I, I remember hearing, I remember like hearing yeah. a, a, about his farewell from Brisbane. He invited the entire team and only two turned up. <laughs> Um, I think that, you know, that probably tells you more about the guy than you need to know. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, I'll never forgive him for his, uh, his um, I guess, him sullying the name of Michael, Michael Braun. Braun. yeah. Yeah. But that's, but, I mean, it's another perfect uh, example, isn't it? Where he just, it, it all has to be about him. Yeah. And he can't stand the limelight to be, I mean... There are some who have suggested the fact that he's appearing on Celebrity Apprentice um, coming up soon oh, made him made him actually want to sort of generate some publicity oh, about himself. God. But to do that by sort of sullying the reputation and legacy of one of the the genuinely good guys to have played yeah. AFL football, yeah, it's yeah. it's despicable. Absolutely, I mean it was really interesting. I wanted to get a. I spoke to one of my friends who's a Melbourne supporter after the news, and I said, look, you know, put into context how big this is, as far as you're concerned. And he said, pure and simple, we wouldn't have a club if it wasn't yeah. for Jim Steins right now. And irrespective of anything else, that's important. He, yeah. And, I mean, the, he was a... He was more than a footballer. Absolutely. I was, yeah, I was actually about to say, as, as great as his achievements were on the football field, which yeah. in itself are probably oh, one, in a, one in about a 10 million chance of ever seeing something like that happen again, he was an even greater man off the field and we talk about records that won't get broken his consecutive games won't I reckon yeah. that will never get broken I mean for a big guy like that to yeah. set that record that's I mean that was 11 seasons basically mm. without missing a game that is just staggering yeah uh, the way the game's played today yeah, there's yeah. no way in the world that, yeah. that you're right I don't think that that record will ever get broken mm. either but uh yeah, I mean, look, as good a player as he was... Yeah, it he was did. more for what he did off the field. Yeah, absolutely. And respect, and it, yeah. Uh, you know, he was Victorian of the Year four times. I think that that says a lot about what he was doing off the field. And yeah. for anybody to question whether somebody who'd given, so much, general, who'd yeah. given so much to so many other people yeah. to to not have earned that right is just out and, and out what, ridiculous. It's, it's got nothing to do with him either. Yeah. Whether or not Jim Steins gets a state funeral, why is Jason Ackermanis even being asked for his opinion? And that's why, in many respects, I think the worst thing is almost the the media outlets who are actually paying this guy a contract and asking his opinion. I mean, no one cares what he thinks. Just go away. Yeah, well, no one cares what Robert Walsh thinks as well. Yeah, he still manages to find a job, so... Yeah. so yes, yeah. that's, that's another rant I do have to do. We were speaking about this earlier. His, your most important players at each club... Oh, it, it could have been written on a on the back of a beer coaster, quite honestly. It's just 
Absolute try. All written by a ten-year-old. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Look, yeah. Robert Walls's novel is. I mean, thank, been, thank Christ we don't have to tolerate him on television this yeah. year. That's the only good. Yeah, that's thing right. Well, saying. you know, the good. Yeah. That, that's exactly right. You know, the the people who own stock in throw him in the ruck are, uh, are disappointed with <laughs> the news. But it is. Uh, uh, he, he's he's yeah. Sort of. I'll lump him in with Anthony Hudson in terms of yeah. commentators and the opinions. I have of them. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, Robert Walls, Robert Walls. Well, at Channel 10, te- I mean, Luke Darcy, you'd throw yeah. him in there as well. I mean, yeah, he's one I of mean, Channel uh, 10. I've, never, I've never been more annoyed in hearing any news than hearing that Channel 7 had picked up Luke Darcy. <laughs> there isn't anybody out there who loves him, with the possible exception the of Jason yeah. who has <laughs> such a high opinion of himself as Luke Darcy. Yeah. Why yeah. the hell Luke Darcy is an expert I on know, anything? He's just like this random me. ex-player who suddenly is becoming. I can, I can, I can, you know, think off the top of my head of any number of former players who I'd expect to give a more articulate and well-reasoned um, opinion on the game than this guy. But so, I mean, maybe I don't know. He just managed to, yeah, fall into this career in media and commentary when he has no discernible skills or talent, as far as I can tell. Nor has he got the, the, the credentials or the pedigree yeah. to talk about a lot of exactly. this stuff. Either. He's the Mark Rusciuto you know, of well, Channel 10. Rusciuto, I actually don't mind Rusciuto, but... Every, every Rusciuto, time I hear him, Rusciuto I just think... sounds like the 15-year-old guy from The Simpsons. <laughs> every time I hear him, I just think, is, has he just come from a big night out or something <laughs> like that? I mean, has he, has he gone to sleep yet? <laughs> um, but, I mean, yeah, from, from my... Yeah, Luke Darcy, as I say, like... I, if you want to hear about the way to win and things like this, I'd rather hear from a premiership player <laughs> than, than somebody like... Tom Harley is a little bit like yeah. that as well. But Tom Harley turned the, the entire culture of that Geelong team around. So yeah. I'll give him a bit of... And him getting knocked out was a, a big factor in Hawthorne when he was at 08 grand final. Yeah. I'll cut him a bit of slack because, you know, he did not he did manage to do a hell of a lot with the culture of that. Whereas, you know, everything that I hear about Luke Darcy and his time at the Bulldogs suggests the exact opposite. He mm. didn't mind taking a swipe at Terry Wallace when Wallace had basically led them so close to mm. grand finals. Yeah. Yeah, he, he's I, from the Jason Ackermanis School of Self-Importance. Yeah. My biggest problem with Tom Harley is that every time I hear him, it just sounds like he's smiling. Have yeah. you noticed that? Every time you hear him talk, That's he just a, sounds all, a, a bit too chipper for my liking. Yeah. I mean, where's the, where's the yeah the sort of anger and the intensity about the game? Every time you hear him, it just sounds like he's sort of just chill back, relaxed, sitting back on a couch with a, with a big bloody grin on his face. Yeah, it's yeah. just special comments need to be a bit less cheerful. Yeah, well, yeah, less, less positive, I think, yeah, is yeah. the phrase you're looking for. Yeah. I'd like, yeah, I mean, it's it, this is probably a whole other story, but there's three substantial bugbears of mine when it comes to commentating professional AFL in Australia. The first one is is that the number of the number of players who are, yes, who are involved absolutely. in doing it, it's too much of a, a boys' club mentality for them to take swipes and comments about things that are actually bleedingly obvious to anybody who, right. who knows anything about the sport. I mean, Brett Kirk commentating a Sydney game, how the hell do they expect him to be objective? Well, the, what Paul Ruse is a yeah. perfect example of the point that I'm making is, is that he... Um, you, you can't have objectivity when that team's been so close to art. It was the same yeah. reason why, like, Eddie Maguire shouldn't have been commentating Collingwood games. Which, that, brings, me to, which brings me to my second point of media personalities who try and wear two hats. <laughs> and James Brasher and Eddie Maguire, yeah. the, the gun's firmly pointed at you, but it could also be pointed at Mr. Brereton <laughs> and Mr. Mr. Oh, Dunstall yes, as well. Oh, at least Dunstall seems to maintain some I sort think, of non biasness. Dunstall is the only one who really doesn't talk about his team. Yeah. Which. Which allows me to, to treat what he says a bit more credibly. But, yeah, the other ones... And, you know, Eddie Maguire getting up... You know, him going and talking to Liam Jarrah behind Melbourne's back, I thought that that was completely disrespectful. And we know full well that if the shoe was on the other foot and mm. somebody else was going in and interviewing Eddie's... One of Eddie's players, we'd, we'd yeah. never hear the end of it. So I think that, you know, it's, it's a bit hypocritical... And it's actually very disrespectful for the other team, for somebody like that. Yeah. To be going in and doing something like he was under the under the guise of being a journalist. And the third one is just the player agents commentating as well. And there's enough of them. It's 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 actually really bad. They have a they, they have a vested interest in what's going on. 
So they're never yeah. going to be totally talk about these things. The comments that people often make about this is, well, these guys clearly know more about what's going on than your average Joe Blow, but... In the terms of context, if you're not going to be critical... You have to you're, be unbiased. Yeah, well. that's right. If you're not going to be critical yeah. in a special comments role, then you're actually adding nothing into yeah. the mix. They're, they're kind of my bugbears with commentary, and it's really bad when you, you listen to you listen to the commentary for the football versus the commentary of virtually any other sport. Well, I mean, and, I'd say it's very similar to Ian Healy commentating the cricket. How yeah. he's getting a talking gig on television is beyond me. Yeah, to a lesser extent, Michael Slater as well. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, who are the biggest fanboys you'll ever find. Oh, if you come from yeah. New South Wales, Michael oh, Slater and the, already Oh, yeah, the you. Davey Warner comments. God, they they talk about him like he's their little nephew and, they, they you know, they've loved him since he was knee-high to a grasshopper. This guy, he's a fairly good player. I'll give him that. He's had a good season. But the way they're talking him up for... Christ's sake, just give it a rest already. The, particularly the Davey Warner comments. And Mark Nicholas has jumped on that bandwagon as well, which is, you know, pr- probably understandable because that's all he's good for. But uh, that that really gets to me, the whole Davey Warner comments thing. Particularly when they're talking him up and he hasn't done anything yet in terms of, like, at the start of the season, they were... They were Big, great raps on this guy. And I was like, well, hang on. Other than one good innings in his first international outing, what's he actually done to warrant that? Now, this summer he's played one match against New Zealand where he couldn't get us to victory on a pitch where no one else was scoring any runs. But the way he didn't farm the strike at the end, I thought it looked like he was batting more for the red ink than anything else. And then he's made a blazing century in the third session of the first day of the Wacker Test. But I was in attendance there, and I, I reckon any batsman in the world could have hit a, a century off 66 balls in, in that session. India just weren't out there. They'd completely checked out. So that I actually think his best performances of the summer were a couple of those one-day innings. Mm. Yeah, more so than the test knocks. We had that one, I think, where he scored the even hundred, where it was clear yeah. that he was battling, but he was working his way through it, which yeah. is, which shows a little bit of maturity on his behalf that we often wondered or questioned whether he actually had it. So yeah. there was, but think, yeah, but the the point remains though is that the commentators need to be yeah objective and and unbiased in their opinions and views of him. Whereas if you listen to particularly Slater, I'll admit, talk about him. You don't really think that that's the case. Okay, with the uh, with the AFL season, we did a little bit of rapid fire with a few of the teams last week. Uh, well, last podcast, more to the point. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a few teams that we missed in that mix, so maybe we just do a little bit of a quick recap on where we think they're at and how we think that they're going to go in the upcoming year. The first one being Collingwood. Now, you had Collingwood playing off in the grand final against Hawthorne. Yeah, look, I think... The main thing for me is that they haven't done uh, anything particularly impressive in the pre-season. I mean, they nearly lost to GWS. But I just think with the new coach and a lot to prove, and more importantly, the fact that they lost the grand final last year. I mean, if you look through the history of the game, it is littered, literally littered with examples of teams who've lost the grand final the year before and come back to win it the next year. And I think that will be enough to get them near enough this season. The fact also remains is that they've got the best draw of any side, as they always do. They get that many games at the MCG where they're always going to be tough to beat. So, they're, yeah, they've got a pretty huge advantage there straight off the bat. Um, in terms of their players, look, in Pendlebury and Swan, as a 1-2 act in the midfield, that's, you know, that's tough for any club, I'd say, to have two midfielders of that calibre running around for them. So I think they'll get them a lot of the way. Travis Cloak is predicted to have a big year up forward. I just think, yeah, with Buckley looking to prove himself and the whole team smarting from last year's grand final loss, they'll be very hard to beat again this year. And I'd predict them to probably win, you know, 17 or 18 games in the regular season. Yeah, I'm not as bullish on Collingwood. And it's for some of the reasons Shashby mentioned, I think first and foremost, is there a coach that's going to be under any more pressure than Nathan Buckley this year? Mm. I mean, he's, ta- he's basically taken... It would taken... have been worse if they'd won the flag last year. Well, <laughs> yeah, but he- hearing lies the point, he's taken over a team that's cherry ripe to win a grand final. At least that's what the last coach has come out and said further putting some pressure on him. 
They've lost a bit of depth as well, which is something that go that gets a little bit under the radar. They they haven't had a good run with with injuries coming into the season itself, but also to the point that they've lost they've now lost McCaffrey and and Cracker to knee injuries for the season. So whilst they might not necessarily have been best twenty two, they would have been in and around that mark. Mm. Lee Brown's retired, who was somebody who played a number of different roles for them. So I, I'm not I'm not necessarily thinking that they're quite as strong. Granted. I think that you know they have. But who's best... going to finish above them though? That's what well, I. See, ask. I, I still, I still think Juong can do that. I think that when it comes down to it, Juong will be in a, a tight, you know, the, the hard bodies around the ball situation. I still think that they're in a better position to to make up the ground against somebody like Collingwood. Mm. So, granted, you're right about Clark. You're right about Pendlebury. Pendlebury's probably the classiest midfielder going around, and yeah. he's the guy who will hurt you the most with the possessions that he actually gets. Yeah. And he generally gets around about 30 of them every week. Unlike Dane Swan, he sort of gets 40 of them, but about 20 of them you could take them or leave them. The, and I mean, look, <laughs> the other guy from Collingwood who I neglected to mention who is a significant loss for them is Leon Davis. Uh, All-Australian last year off halfback was really important not only with their rebound from out outside 50 there, but also their kick-ins. Mm. So they've got to find somebody to, to fill that role for them at the same level. They're solid down back. They're solid up forward. They've got a solid midfield. Time's going to catch up with someone like Darren Jolly sooner or later too. Mm. So it's, it's, it's yet to be seen if they've got somebody coming through the ranks that can fill that role for them. But um, so I, I'm, I'm picking them to probably a whopping slide down to third. <laughs> So, so you're picking a repeat of the 08 Grand Final? Eh? I'm picking a repeat of the 08 Grand okay. Final. I just think that whilst Geelong have had a couple of significant losses in Cameron Ling and Brad Ottens... <laughs> Who we're and, seeing interview someone yeah. on screen right now. Yeah, Cameron, I think that Ling and Ottens are, are big losses to their structure, but the beauty of Geelong is, is that I think that Geelong have better depth than Collingwood do at this particular point it's in time. It's a big call, because I mean, that's what they talk up about, Collingwood, is their depth. I don't buy it. I, I haven't seen much evidence. The fact that they, they sent a, team, a, a reasonable B team up to a certain extent up to play Greater Western Sydney and couldn't beat them. Well, they beat them, but yeah, only yeah, just beat just, them. Yeah. It's, it's things like that that you have to take into account. I'm, I'm not sure that Collingwood, say, 26 through 36 are better than Geelong 26 through 36. Mm. And I view them being probably, you know, relatively even with regards to best 22. Mm. So, and I mean, as I said, you, you take into account that McCaffrey and Cracker have already been wiped out of Collingwood's season this year. Is Cracker he's, gone for the... Oh, what's the story with him? No, he's gone. He's yeah, gone, yes. He's gone. He's yeah. gone, yeah. You, you take that into account, you're, uh, you're in real trouble. So mm. Collingwood are already diving into their depth where Geelong aren't. So that's just my reasoning behind that. And, yeah, well... I just, I honestly just feel that I think Geelong are, are, are going to be a better team when it matters. I think that they weren't a hell of a lot last year with regards to pacing themselves. They managed their team better than anyone else. And come finals time, they were clearly the best team running yeah, around. Yeah, absolutely. It wasn't even close. I they, mean, they towered up Hawthorne in that first round. Well, I mean, that, the, the other teams in the top four, they gave all three, all, yeah, all the yep, three other teams in did. the top four yeah. are pasting come finals time. Yep. So you'd have to say that. With that in mind, I think they're the better. You know, they're going to be the better team. So it's a. But I mean, look, it's, it's probably a line ball thing. I, if you're asking me that, I'm probably fifty-five, forty-five Geelong Collingwood. Mm. So there's not much difference between the two teams, but I think that there's enough for me to to be comfortable saying that I honestly feel Geelong will get there ahead of Collingwood. Right. So apart from those teams, there's, I mean, there's a few others we haven't discussed. So first cab off the rank, your mate Josh's team, yeah. the, the Essendon Bummers, as I like to call them. <laughs> oh, look, probably, I mean, they're probably about where they were last year, I'd say. Just, you know, maybe they might fall into the eight through sheer dumb luck, if nothing else. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't know whether they actually will make the finals this year. Yeah, I'd, um, I'd tip them to maybe slide a little bit backwards before yeah. going forward. They've got a very weird list. They're, there's a lot of young kids and there's a lot of old guys, but not a hell of a lot in the middle there. Mm. Michael Hurley, it'll be interesting to see where they settle him. I'd like to think that they will finally settle him somewhere. Yeah. Given that he's just signed a five-year contract, you'd like to think that they've got a role, 
I want to Roy Moore. Yeah. I'd love to see him play him at centre half back, but I can also understand why they see him as being an important forward for them. Yeah. So I mean they're very dependent on seeing something from Scott Gumbleton and uh, Dyson or Hype. If uh, next time you come to Perth, make sure you drop the Rising Star medal off at Luke Shuey's <laughs> house, please. There's an absolute travesty that you want it. And to all those people who are of the belief that Dyson Heppel will one day make a great midfielder. I'd like to ask them who the last best good halfback flanker was that ended up coming in and becoming a great midfielder because yeah. I can't think of any off the top of my head from the last 15 years. I think if you're a if you're a halfback seagull, you end up staying a halfback seagull. Yeah. No matter how hard people try and shoehorn you into other positions. Yeah. So I, I, that argument, which was the argument that a lot of people like to put up there for Rising Stars, I'm sorry, I'd like to take the known, the guy who's in there actually doing it now, over the unknown mm. of somebody who can potentially do it moving forward. Yeah. Well, that's right. If you can potentially do it, then why isn't he doing it now? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> so, yes. Sydney, well, I don't really want to talk too much about I Sydney. I hate Sydney. Yeah. I had Sydney. <laughs> I'll tell you about Sydney. Sydney will probably finish around about eighth. Yeah. They'll bore me to tears at least four or five times this year. I'll get sick and tired of hearing Paul Roos spruik how good Adam Goods is. I'll get sick and tired of everybody else spruiking how good Adam Goods is for that matter as yeah. well. And, uh, yeah, basically... I have nothing to say about Sydney. <laughs> I, I will say watch out for Sam Reid because I think in, a, in three to four years' time he could well be the best key forward going around in the league. That's my, that's cool. my big tip. Be cool. He's just got to learn how to kick. He's got all of the other things that you want to see from a key forward. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, um, I'm not big on these guys who they say that about. Yeah. <laughs> St Kilda uh, certainly went through a little bit of an overhaul over the past year or so. I not think. all by choice, are Not they? all by choice. <laughs> not having Kim Duthie running around their, uh, their change rooms or their <laughs> players will probably do them a load of good. I think having a new coach there will certainly be a benefit to them as well. I rate Scott Waters. I rate Simon McPhee, who's gone there as an assistant. Having said that, I just don't think the cattle's there. Nah, that's right. You just, I don't think they've got a good enough team on the park. Yeah, the, pro- the problem is, is that you, if you looked at their best dozen players, they're all old, and that's yeah. because they were in premiership top-up mode. And Well, that's right. I mean, they needed to have won a flag by now, basically. Yeah. They needed to have peaked, because now they're on the decline, so... Unfortunately for them, it means they're probably going to have to wait another 10 years now before they actually get a tilt at it. Yeah, and I, I mean, look, if the offer of the, the top couple of picks for Brendan Goddard was legitimate, they should have taken that deal because I think that they need to do a, a hard rebuild. Mm, yeah. Especially if, you know, they may well lose Goddard at the end of the year for nothing. Yeah. So, interesting times. I think interesting times ahead for St Kilda. I tip them being a team that will probably fall out of the eight, but it's not necessarily the fault of the coach. Yeah. I think Ross Lyon did as much as he could with what was there. I think what... Oh, is... they needed to win in 09. I mean, yeah. they, they bossed the competition in 09 and, and couldn't beat Geelong in the last Saturday yeah. in September. That was it. They needed and to win that game. Lyon fired all his bullets in the first grand final in 2010. They were yeah. never going to win that replay. Yeah. I mean, credit to him for doing that because he did give him a chance to win it, but... I think that Waters at it's St Kilda, it's a step backwards to go forwards longer term. And everything that I hear with regards to St Kilda, I like what I'm hearing, but I just don't think that they, they can make it through. Yeah. Brisbane are going to be an interesting team to watch this year. Oh, I mean, they'll probably finish last of the 16 recognised teams, I would have thought. Perhaps Port Adelaide, throw them in there as well. But... See, Brisbane are interesting. They're the type of team that it wouldn't necessarily surprise me if they won double-digit games. They're, they're, really? They're best and they're, they're different. Jeez. Having said that, the distance between their best and their worst is exorbitant. Yeah. And if they can keep their senior guys out there, they're a chance. They've got a lot of good young kids coming through that team. Mm. Um, there's guys like Redden and Rockliffe and Polkinghorn. That are, they're actually very classy footballers, and as time goes on, people will pay more attention to them. The issues that I see with Brisbane is is that with, if Brown's not out there playing, I'm not sure where they're going to get their goals from. I also think they need a coach who wasn't a club legend and completely inexperienced at top level. 
I think well, the biggest mistake he made was leaving West Coast and saying, I'm going to take this gig on. Well, I mean, I, I, I respected his approach when he, he went all in with his chips. There was only two ways that that could go. It's gone the wrong way for him. Yeah. But um, I, I, see some, I see some potential there, but they're certainly not going to... I certainly don't see them making the top eight this year, but they are a team that I think will probably improve on their record from last year. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Uh, Melbourne, who, oh, who knows what to make of Melbourne? Mm. Yeah, <laughs> there's a point. There's a lot of talents at Melbourne. Having said that, I'm not quite sure where they're at. I think that they, I, they needed to get some... Talking with people who I know who support Melbourne, they say the same thing. It's like, we feel we've got as good a talent as anyone else, but what we don't have is any, any hard disciplinarians either at that higher level at the coach mm. or within the playing group itself. Yeah, and I think that it's very, very interesting. You see the pathway that they've taken with their captaincies as a consequence. That's of this. what I was going to say. Yeah, I think making two young guys captain like that who haven't really proven themselves at top level yet, that's putting a lot of pressure on their young shoulders. I mean, it could pay off for them, but I think, yeah, I, it's not the approach I would have uh, taken. For the record, I really like them both as players, but they can't mm. always get out there. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I'm really impressed with the way that they've handled things so far, both of those guys. But it speaks volumes of that 25, 26, 27-year-old range at the Melbourne club that there wasn't anybody with perhaps the exception of Nathan Jones that could realistically lay claim to that captaincy mm. role. Yeah. So... Well, Jamar was the only other one I can think mm. of, but... And, I mean... Ruckman don't make good captains. Well, yeah. <laughs> And I, look, I think that the other thing is is that surely their recruiters are regretting the Jack Watts decision by now. Mm. I still think that Jack Watts will become a decent player, but it's going to be a little bit of the, the Ryan Number Griffin. Number one pick, yeah. The yes. Ryan Griffin, Lance Franklin type situation whereby, yeah, you picked a, you, you did pick a good guy when you look at the, the tenure of his career moving forward, but it's going to be difficult to, to grasp the fact that guys like Nat Nui, Hill and Hurley were taken after yeah. Jack Watts. Yeah. And, look, he's 21 years old now. I, I mean, to be perfectly honest, I think they're playing him out of position. He's the type of guy I'd I'd like to see him play up around, up on a wing or even mm. behind the ball because yeah. he's actually a good disposer of the ball and he reads the play reasonably well. He just doesn't have the body or the yeah. tank at this stage. Yeah. So use his skills to your advantage. Richmond could well be on the rise this year. They're certainly a team to keep your eye out on for one reason or another. I reckon that they've got the most exciting young midfielder going around in Dustin Martin, who I think is is poised to really take a significant step in his career this year. I mean, we were talking about Penderbury and Swan before. In Cochin and Martin, you've got... Yeah, they've so certainly the, got the, Probably the next Pendlebury and Swan right they've there. They've got a... Yeah, I mean, a really good combination. They've got yeah. some, some good... Solid bodies around them with, you know, the Foley's and the Newman's, these guys who, Delidio as well. Yeah. I mean, they've got, there's a lot of talent around their midfield. They're very Jack, they're still very Jack Rewalt focused. Yeah. Um, they're only going to go as far as Jack can take them. They're probably also a key defender down, I yeah. would think. They, they lack key position players, I yeah. would have said. Yeah. yeah, I think that that's a, that's a fair assessment. Hopefully Tyrone Vickery will stand up for him this year and provide a good foil to Rewalk. Yeah. If they do that, the bottom rung to the eight isn't actually out of, well, that's out right. of I mean, reach if, for this if, team. If Rewalt, you know, competes for the Coleman, they should make the finals. Yeah, and I, I see them I see them being on the rise. I like what Hardwick's done there. I really do. Um, but, yeah, look, I, I'm not quite sure if they have the right pieces at this particular point in time. and. Mm. A lot of things would have to go right for them to make the eight. And uh, I guess the last team to discuss, we could probably keep this pretty quick as well, is Port Adelaide. Because They're shit. They're going God nowhere. God, who knows? <laughs> who knows with Port? They've actually had a rather surprisingly good preseason, yeah. which, uh, yeah. which, bodes, which bodes well if their, their confidence is up. I think that... They tailed Freo up over here. There's, cert- look, there's certainly some talent around the Port Adelaide team. John Butcher looks like he could be anything. Yeah. There's good quality in the midfield. Boak, Hartlett. Um, Boak in particular, I'm a yeah. big fan of him. Yeah, he's their best player. Hartlett, so. Chad Wingard looks like he's going to be a pretty good player for them as well. Yeah. They stole Ebert from the Eagles. Um, I know you I was happy, happy to see him go. Yeah. John, I think that John McCarthy's been a good pick-up for them as well from Collingwood. So 
they've managed to pick up some some nice pieces. I mean, they're not pieces that are going to going to make you a, a top eight challenger. I mean, yeah. if I'm poor, if I'm if I'm aiming, you know, aiming for maybe seven or eight wins this year, I think they will have had a good year if they've done that. But I think you know the legend thing with Boss. I think the same thing applies here with Primus. I'm, yeah. And to a lesser extent, Brett Ratton as well. I'm just not sure these guys are cut out for the job, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, I just don't see it. But, I mean, look, having said that, who else would you pick? Who else could you pick out there? There's probably, I think I've said this before, I really only think there's maybe five or six good coaches out there. Uh, what about, um, is it Cameron? He's at Hawthorne right now. Aren't they a big rap on him? Yeah. Uh, I'm always worried about guys who come in who haven't, who haven't really had the had the hot seat experience, so they mm. haven't actually coached yeah. in the main job somewhere else, even if it's a VFL level or Waffle level, you know, which is the thing about Scott Waters coming in. He, yes, he's had to do an apprenticeship, but he coached at Subiaco very successfully yeah. before he entered the AFL system. You can't underestimate the, the value of having to be the guy who's had to make the decisions. Yeah, and that's why, I mean, I said about Boss, I mean, even... In yeah, his position at West Coast. It would have been good to see him do that first, I thought. Yeah, that's right. I just think that yeah, you need to have that kind of soft leading. And it's part of the reason why I worry about Buckley, mm. because he he probably hasn't been in that in that kind of position before. So that that's pretty much all of the, the teams. I've I've tipped uh, a Hawthorne Geelong grand final. You've tipped Hawthorne Collingwood. Yeah, I tipped that, I think, last year with still three weeks left in the do season. To, do you want to make a couple of really big calls? Brownlow medal, Coleman medal, Rising Star? Oh, look, Coleman medal, but he should win it. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's no excuse for him not to win it with that Probably the only, the, yeah, the only guy who is probably a realistic Cloak. challenge. Cloak is a realistic challenger and probably, yeah. as we've said, Jack Rewalt yeah. as well. They're oh, probably even, the even Jack Revolt. If Jack Revolt's kicking more goals in the season than Buddy Franklin, then something's gone wrong at Hawthorne, to be perfectly yeah. honest. Or they, play, uh, or, or they played Roughhead up forward and he's completely fucked up their structure again. <laughs> or they played Buddy a lot through the midfield, which I'd like to see him do. Yeah. Brownlow yeah. medal? I, I think he got close last year, and I think someone like Sam Mitchell could give it a shake, because yeah. if he... If Hawthorne win their, you know, 18 games this season, then they're going to be getting votes in a lot of games. And he is someone who just... I have so much time and respect for him. I think the fact that he lost the captaincy is a bit of a joke. It's just the fact that Hodge is more of a media personality and beloved by Bruce and the rest of the team at Channel 7. Well, loved loved by Doomy, which I think goes a long way there. Yeah. That's right. But I think, um, yeah, he was a sensational captain for them, a premiership captain. Um, and I think, yeah, if, if Hawthorne are going to win that many games this year, then someone like him will be picking up a lot of votes. So, yeah, yeah I'll, I'll, I'll throw him out there. Well, he's actually a really good pick, and I reckon you'd get good value for him right about now mm. at the start of the season. Yeah. He's certainly a vote-getter, we know that. Yeah, so, that's right. Um, I'm going to go with Pendlebury. Yeah. No... Major reason other than the guys. Oh, it's it's on merit. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, he's also on a one-year contract, looking to uh, to thicken his wallet a lot more as well. Yeah. He's at that age now where I think that we'll we'll start to really see the best of him. Yeah. Uh, so I would think that he's uh, he'd be my pick. I'll go with Pendlebury, but I, I do like the Mitchell thing. That there's. I'd put money on Mitchell over Pendlebury because I think you'll get, get better value. value. Yeah. But I, I I just believe that Pendlebury will probably be the guy who will win it. So, Rising Star is always a bit tougher. Oh, look, I probably don't know enough about the breadth of young talent out there yeah. at all clubs to be able to make a call. I mean, well, there's, a, there's a couple of guys who... I, I'm a big rap for Steve Coniglio ever since I watched him in the, the Swan Districts Grand Final a couple of years ago, whereas a... A 16-year-old kid, he was probably the second-best player on the field. Mm-hmm. I think that that speaks volumes. The fact that he won a Lark medal last year in the under-18s further, you know, influences my my perceptions or views on him there is, is that he's clearly a quality kid coming through. But very rarely do you see first-year players actually win it. And, I mean, he's going to be playing for Greater West and Sydney, so I'm not quite sure how much support he'd actually get yeah. around the thing. So... I, it's probably more going to be a second or third year guy who bolts from from nowhere 
in theory that'll that'll probably get up and win it. Mm. A couple of guys who I'd really keep an eye on with that in mind, uh, Kane Lucas at Carlton, is a chance. He was a, a a guy who was drafted very very early. He um, he's had a lot of injury problems, but if he uh, if he overcomes them, I think he'd be a chance. Kobe Stevens will probably get a better look in this year at the Eagles. Mm-hmm. I'm not quite sure he'll probably get enough midfield time as such, but he'd probably be a chance. Josh Caddy from Greater Western Sydney, who is a... Uh, not Greater Western Sydney, sorry, Gold Coast, who was a top seven pick. Played a couple of games towards the end of last year and looked really good. He's now fully fit, so he might well be a chance as well. They're probably it that I can think mm. of. Um, putting my neck on... I'm not going to put my neck on... Having all the dismissals that I had before about Canelio, which were my reservations, I'd probably still... Yeah. He, he's he's a greater known for me, and I know that this kid's actually going to be a quality AFL footballer at some stage, yeah. whether it's this year or not. So I'll sway his way <laughs> for, for the purposes of now. Yeah. So. So if we have to pick Premiership, are you going with the I'll Hawks? go Hawthorne. Yeah. Uh, uh, your your concerns <laughs> your concerns about them being big game players. Uh, yeah. In the in those big games are legitimate. I I always I, just sway with if you've got the best player on the field, you invariably win the game. <laughs> Exception the being Gary Ablett in '89, with the yeah. two teams who you picked to be there again this year. But. Well, yeah, well, that was right. He was the best player that day. But I mean, Hawthorne yeah. probably had the next five or six, yeah. which which helped matters. And look, you know, the the beauty of Hawthorne is is that I think that their best player on the field it could be Franklin, it could be Mitchell, it could be Hodge. It could be Burgoyne in some instances. Suley, come on. It could be Suley. Suley. It could be Suley Rioli. There's a, they've yeah, got a yeah. number of guys Genuine who could winners. theoretically yeah. be the best player on yeah. the field at any point in time. Yeah. I just, you know, when it comes when it comes to that time of year, I just like star power. Look, I'd like to hope they will. And perhaps, as I say, I mean, if they're sitting 2-0 this year, they win the Premiership, in my opinion. It's, mm. it's that simple. They've got their two biggest tests first up. At this stage, I'm still going to tip the pies because I just think, last, as I say, the, the impact of losing the grand final the year before, I think, will, will be enough to get them over the line. And they're very good draw as well. I think they'll be enough to put, finish them top two. And from there, they they are you know they they're pretty good big game players. So I'll go with the Pies. You'll probably get good odds for them right about now. Mm. Yeah, particularly if they lose next Friday. Yeah, which well, I hope they do. <laughs> that being the, that being the case, we might want to just quickly duck down to the TAB and check yeah. that out yeah. before uh, before we continue on. All so right. so on that note, yeah, sign off for this week. We'll sign and, off uh, for this week. Yeah, yeah. Thanks again, guys. Yeah, we'll see you next time. Yeah, adios. <laughs>